You're listening to Stocks and Sandals, a podcast by Stock Dads for Stock Dads. Following two best buds and former college roommates on their journey to master the stock market and the art of being a dad. So pull up your cargo shorts, put on your grass-stained New Balances, and let's throw some stocks on the grill. Here are your hosts, DJ Brown and Mike Sabala. Hello. <laughs> we don't have an intro. We don't have anything planned for the Q&A portion. This is much less formal. Much, much less formal. Yeah. So, uh, it kind of has uh, to be when you have someone named Sir Faps a lot <laughs> on every episode. Yeah. <laughs> uh, um, so I have another question, um, but I wanted to save it for the Q&A session. Um, so... I'm on your insta or I'm on your um your Discord as well, and some of the stuff that I see called out is like it's a a block or um what are the other terms? Uh, yeah, like can you just explain that? Like, what do those mean? Yep. Like, what's a sweep options call or block, whatever, all that kind of fun stuff. Yes. So I'm going to um pull up something real quick just so I can double check and make sure I have it understand correctly. So there's three, there's there's probably more than that, but there's three main types that you're going to see in terms of market orders. One is a sweep, one is a split, and one is a block order. Um, a sweep is when an order fills across multiple exchanges, meaning First come, first serve, whether it's from XYZ exchange and ABC exchange, doesn't matter. Whatever is at the price that I want to purchase it for, buy it so it fills the order ASAP, right? So across multi-exchange. A split order is when you have it on a single exchange that fills. Usually split orders, they're going to happen a little bit slower because you're only waiting for the availability for you know whatever you're trying to purchase to become available only on that single exchange so oftentimes you know you're not as hurried to get into a position like that and then a block order a block order is let's say i want to purchase um you know something at the average cost of two dollars but i notice that there's some that's you know a dollar 90 and some that's two dollars and ten cents and whatever and what a block order does is it puts in an order to buy a block of whatever it is so that the average comes out to fill whatever it was that you wanted, but not necessarily filling at the exact order price of you know $2 per share or contract or whatever. So um, so that's, that's kind of the three. And, and I guess is, is kind of like the follow-up question, you know, what does what mean and kind of how should you be looking at each one of those kind of thing? Or what are your thoughts around those? Um, yeah, I mean, so just, I, go ahead, Mike. I have. So are those? So you said those? Do those have to be market orders then? Um, market orders, not necessarily. Um, they can be like. I think they're actually usually limit orders because when you're putting in a limit order, you're putting in like criteria of what to do to fill that order. So in there, you would be putting it as a sweep where it's like multi-exchange. 
Um, so, you know, first come, first serve or split only buy from, you know, the single exchange kind of thing. Okay. So, because I see or I have seen a few people where they're like, I'm trying to get this call, but my order won't fill. So is that something where they could do the same call, but put it in as a sweep and then it's blasted out to all the exchanges and it should get filled faster? Um, yes, but typically sweeps, splits, and block orders are done on very large purchases, um, far greater than what your retail trader would be purchasing, you know, in any single order. Um, a lot of times your brokerage that you're using will determine how to fill that order based on what you're putting in there. So if I'm using, you know, Robinhood, for example, and I put in a limit order for, you know, this contract, the back end and the brokerage, it could be a sweep, it could be a split, it could be a block. It, it just depends on how the brokerage is working with these exchanges to fill your order. But most of the time, you're you as a retail trader aren't even like you know looking at that. Right. Um, so you can't choose what which one of those. It's just something that happens on the back end. Exactly, it's something that happens. What from what I understand, it's something that happens with larger purchases to fill orders of greater size versus just, you know, a handful of contracts kind of thing. Gotcha. Okay. So our uh, <laughs> good old trusty Sir Faps a lot <laughs> is uh, here to ask a question. So uh, Sir Faps a lot would like to uh, know if you can explain the Greeks a little bit more um, and which one you look at the most. Yes. So of the Greeks, there is um, obviously a handful um, that you can go through. There's like uh, Theta, um, there's Gamma, there's Delta, there's all sorts of Greeks that you can, you can look at. To be honest, um, I don't trade very heavily using the Greeks, but that also kind of answers your question in terms of what do I look at the most. The most that I'm looking at is Theta, um, Theta if anything simply because I want to see what the decay is on that contract value to understand is the theta decay going to happen very quickly where I can see my contract value lose 50% overnight? Or is this something where I have enough time that I'm not going to see so much of that uh, theta burn that you tend to see where over the course of the day, as you get closer and closer, your contract just continuously gets cheaper and cheaper, even though you may see it moving up. And so um, at the end of the day, there's very, very technical traders who trade using a lot of Greeks. And then from there, deciding, you know, ranges of what these Greeks fall within in terms of numbers. And then from there, um, you know, when to, when to purchase. But me personally, I'm more of a technical trader in terms of charting. And so for me, I'm, I'm more about charting the supports, the resistances, looking at volume, looking at different indicators. And then from there, um, kind of making a play. So <clears throat> next question uh, from $14 King is what helps you decide when to go into an option? So like, what are your main criteria? You kind of just alluded to it to some degree, but like what's uh, what makes you pull the trigger? Yeah. So that's a, another really good question. So when I'm going into a position, um, most of the time and what I've seen from a lot of people and I, I I'm guilty of it too. And I used to do it alone is, you know, you get really excited. And when you want to get into a position, sometimes you just kind of jump into it and you don't really do your due diligence. And so the thing that I always recommend in terms of deciding, you know, when to go into a position or not is again, simply looking at 
the chart and the candlesticks to see where is this stock falling today in terms of price. Some of the best time frames that I look at is like a 15 minute time frame. I look at the four hour time frame. sometimes I look at the one hour chart. So it really kind of depends, but between the 15 minute and the four hour, those are two very solid ones. But as you're looking at these time frames and you're looking at these candlesticks, the next thing you should be looking at is where is the candlestick sitting in relation to the support or the resistance? And how does that correlate to the, the play that I'm trying to make? So if I'm trying to be bullish about a position and right now, let's say we see this stock kind of being sold off, but it's getting to a key support level and I see it bounce on the support and I see volume come in and I see this bounce happen right there. That is going to tell me that that's probably a great opportunity to either scalp something and buy some calls on that bounce or, you know, maybe hold it and do a swing, you know, and see if I can swing that into when it hits the, the next resistance, you know, that kind of stuff. So. Um, ultimately, you got to look at the support and resistances because if you're buying near a resistance point and you're saying, you know, I'm buying calls, but it really you're already there, and then it hits that resistance, it gets rejected and it falls down, you're just bag holding now at that point, you know, and you could have gone way better in at a much better price, at, at, you know, had you have just kind of charted it and just waited that five more minutes to see is it enough to break past that resistance or is it going to get rejected, and so. A lot of it does come down to just visibly looking at a chart, charting it out properly, and then from there deciding what is the upside to my play, and then does it make sense and do I see volume? Gotcha. Um, um, so go ahead, Mike. I have a follow-up, though. That's not on the No, list. you go ahead. I was just going to read the next question. No, I got it. I got one. Um, I'm cutting in line because that's what it that's what I do, you know. Um, if uh, go ahead. <laughs> um, so one of our, uh, like our, we call him the professor, uh, Mike Tedeschi, is a you know professional trading coach, and he's one of our educators on our Discord and stuff. Um, really is a um, he's a breakout trader more than anything. Um, so he looks for when there's you know spikes in volume and when they break through resistance. Uh, and then he gets in and, and rather than, you know, what's very common with a lot of retail traders um, and, and probably a lot of traders in general, like buying low and selling high. Right. He buys high and sells higher. So, like, do you ever, you know, trade with that mentality as well, like with options? Or are you typically more of a buy low, sell higher um, type of trader yourself? Right. Primarily, I'm just an opportunity-based trader. So just depending on what's going on and what I see for the day, um, I kind of make decisions there. Flow obviously has a huge part of, part to do with it. And um, if you guys aren't familiar with that, essentially there's options flow scanners out there that scan the open market constantly for you know orders that are coming through, which is where terms like the sweeps, the splits, the block orders are coming from. And as these market orders are happening, what you'll see is that sometimes you'll see, you know, let's say Tesla calls come in back to back to back to back, and they're all short-term expiration calls for out-the-money strike prices. And then as you're looking at the chart, because you're saying, okay, I see an influx of calls coming in from someone in the market, and you're looking at the chart and you see that there's volume that's accumulating, and it looks like it's, you know, breaking above a resistance point or something like that that's you know a great indication that there's most likely going to be a very good bullish opportunity there. 
So kind of similar to what Mike does, not necessarily defining myself as a buy low, sell high type of person. It's really more volume based trading because that's ultimately what's going to push the price higher or lower is volume. And when you have no volume, that's when you see a lot of that kind of gray slippage and just kind of not really doing much. But when you see that volume come in, that's when you see those candlesticks come in and that movement has start to happen. So anytime you're getting into a position, it's better to get into a position that has volume, that looks like there's a breakout coming or breaking ab above or below a certain key point. And then from there, making your play. And most people, you know, probably have run into this already, but in terms of day trading restrictions, you get three per five day trading period. Um, use those, you know, it doesn't hurt to scalp three times a week and swing the rest of your positions and do swing trading, you know. And so there's good opportunities where, yes, it's higher risk, but at the same time, you shouldn't be putting 25% of your portfolio into a Friday expiration call. You know, you should be putting a fraction of that because even even a, a $250 contract that's a Friday expiration can still go up 300%, still netting you over $1,000, even though you put in 200 bucks, right? So ultimately, you have to be cautious, but you have to be smart and you have to look at volume. Gotcha. Um, what what uh, broker do you use? And then I'll get back to the questions. I'm just curious. Um, primarily right now, Thinkorswim. Um, it's by far, I think, the the most technical of platforms, um, especially with all the indicators that you can use. Yeah, that's what Mike uses too. It uh, it intimidates me, so um, but it's something that I'd like to eventually move into. Um, all right, so next question uh, from the Big Whiff: What RS? So first of all, do you look at RSI and and um, moving averages, and if so, which levels do you look for when buying a call or buying a put? Yes, um, good question. So um, RSI levels. I think like the most common points are like a 70 and 30. So when if it's above 70, it's kind of the overbought um, territory of RSIs. And then if it's under 30, it's kind of considered oversold. And then obviously a bullish opportunity there. Um, oftentimes it depends because again, when you're looking at timeframes, right? A four hour chart might show you something on the RSI, whereas a 15 minute chart might show you something completely different on RSI. So ultimately, you have to look at these RSI levels and moving average levels as, again, one of many different data points as you're going into, let's say, a, a call or a put. Um, but really, what you see with like moving averages is there's always this kind of um, like contraction that kind of happens where you'll see the moving averages move apart, then they'll squeeze together before something happens, right? Before it moves up or before it moves down. And so when you're looking at these moving averages, I usually track three. Um, I forget what the exact time frames are. Those like a, I, for, I forget what exactly the frames are, but what they are is they're actually a very common um, Forex uh, type of SMA that people use for Forex trading. Um, but I use the same three kind of days to track. But again, when you're looking at the short term, middle term and long term, um, you know, of those moving averages, I'm looking at those contractions, you know, when it kind of splits apart, because as it moves further and further from each other, more than likely, they're going to try to squeeze together again at some point and consolidate. And then it's going to eventually squeeze out again and kind of consolidate. And you always see these kind of flipping that occurs where the moving averages will go up, but then will flip and go back down. And so 
at the end of the day, a lot of it has to be around momentum based and again, volume based. Gotcha. Gotcha. Um, so next question is what is the hardest thing to master about options? What should someone try to focus on or learn first when trying to become a more efficient options trader? Um, what is the hardest thing to master about options and discipline um, for sure? Because what people will always fall into the trap of is when things are going well, you know, everything is going well. But this time, you know, the second something doesn't go in your favor or you start taking a few losses in a row, everything comes crumbling down, right? And so if you're not disciplined and you're an emotional trader, just like people at a casino gambling and falling into the deeper trap, if you're not disciplined and know when to stop or when to step away and just come back again tomorrow and you know all this kind of stuff, you can get into the trap of putting in and making plays that you know you shouldn't be making. And then you just taking hit after hit after hit, and then you blow up your entire account, right? And that happens a lot because you'll hear a lot of people blowing up their accounts and so forth. So the hardest thing to, to discipline or, or the hardest thing to master is discipline because there's just so much emotions um, that come from trading, especially when it comes to using your own money to trade. Um, but when, when, when it comes to like beginner traders and what to focus on when learning, I would say just the fundamentals. Um, the biggest thing is just understanding, you know, how to properly trade. What is the support? What is the resistance? Even just basic technical analysis and how to understand a chart and how to read that. Because again, you'll see that there's so many people out there trading options today that don't even look at a chart, you know, and do even light technical analysis before jumping to a position. Most people will follow calls. So when they see someone else getting to it, they'll just jump into it themselves. Or they'll look at a very, very basic chart that doesn't really show them anything. They're not using any indicators. And again, you know, blindly follow a play. And, you know, that's just, you know, the first one, you know, you'll always get lucky, you know, and, and you'll make some money on the first one. But that second trade and that third trade, fourth trade, that's when it really comes out, whether you know, you, whether you know what you're doing or not. And it comes down to, you know, education. Cool. Next question. If an option takes off and I want to exercise it instead of taking the profit I have and, and I have the cash, would that be a smarter move? Um, it could be. It could be. It depends on your strategy, um, $14 King. If you're trying to accumulate equity over the long run and, you know, you want to exercise the contract because it's favorable um, in terms of price and you want to hold on to those shares, then, you know, absolutely. Um, you could do that. Otherwise, if it's if it's taking off, you know, oftentimes you'll see that premium increase, and you know, most people will honestly just sell it and just lock in that premium and then roll into that next play. So it really just depends on what you're trying to build long term. But if it is, you know, a share equity position, then definitely exercising contracts when it's, you know, in the money and profitable for you, you know, is the way to go. Gotcha. So next question is, um, so do you use stop losses for your options plays? Yeah. So uh, Stock Shaman, I'll answer actually to your, your earlier question as well, um, just because I don't think we have too many more questions. But um, in terms of stop losses, I use stop losses, but not physical stop losses. I use mental stop losses. So what I mean by this is that there's a certain threshold of what I'm willing to hold my position up until, but after it loses a certain amount of value and I just don't see the play anymore, or I just know that I'm holding and hoping, 
that's you know the time to cut. But the number that I'm always looking at is if you're looking at you know a swing trade that's you know about a month if not longer out. Usually about fifty percent is where I'm going to cut it. And so um, anything over that, it's better to just cut the position and rebuy into a new position that's further expiration out if you think that there's still potential. But most people will fall into the trap of thinking, oh, I'm just going to keep holding on to my existing position, even though I know that it's already at a 50% loss, because I'm hoping that it's going to go back up again. But with theta decay and with time decay, and as it gets closer and closer to that expiration, even if the stock price is moving up, you'll see that the intrinsic value of the contract is still going down. And so you have to be careful. And it's, again, it's better to just cut the position and repurchase for a further expiration if you think it's going to go up versus trying to hold that hoping that it's going to return only to then, you know, watch it go into a further deeper position where it's at like 75% now down, you know, that kind of stuff. Um, if I ever am out of the like house or I don't have the time to manage my position, that's when I use a stop loss, like a physical one, where if I know I'm going to be out for an hour or two hours, or I just can't look at it, I'm going to put in a stop loss there, but I'm also going to put in a limit sell order. So I need to also calculate and understand what am I going to be happy with in terms of profit taking. And so usually I calculate anything from, again, depending on expiration. If I'm looking at a Friday expiration, you know, I'm not going to sell it unless it's down, you know, 80% plus um, because it's such a highly volatile kind of contract, knowing that it could expire worthless on Friday. But at the same time, I'm not going to lock in that profit until I see at least 50%, if not higher, because literally in, in the matter of five minutes, you can see an options contract that's a, a weekly expiration double triple in value you know in a matter of uh, in a matter of minutes and so it's very very quick so when you're looking at like limit sells you can also be thinking about calculating you know what is your your target profit and if i'm aiming to get you know 25 30% 50% out of this play we'll calculate what that price is going to be and put in that limit sell order so that again discipline trading it's selling right when you hit that target and you made the right call and you made the right place or you're being rewarded for it rather than getting greedy and then being like, well, it hit my target and now I think I'm going to hold it a little bit longer. And when you do that and you break away from your discipline, that's when things start going south and, oh, I should have locked it in when I had the chance. Now it's down. Now it's even further down. And, oh, man, how did I let a green position go into the red? So, you know, you have to be smart about you know how you use these stop losses and limit sales, but ultimately you know, you, you should be using them as, you know, a disciplined person. Um, I, I answered the, the difference between a block and sweep order earlier, Stock Shaman. Um, block orders, it's just, you know, hey, here's my target price of $2, my average cost of $2. You know, make sure you buy that block of order of anything that fills in between. You know, as long as the average price comes out to $2, fill it so that it gets filled quickly. A sweep order. A sweep order happens when you have multiple exchanges involved to fill an order, and typically a sweep order is going to be read as something extremely bullish. Same thing like a block order versus a split order. So the reason being is because a sweep is a multi-exchange fulfillment order. So that means you know first come first serve. Whatever is available, sell to me and fill my order so I can get that filled ASAP. It doesn't matter what exchange it comes from. Whatever is available, fill it. A split order is just from a single exchange. So it means that I'm not in a rush. I want to purchase from this exchange that maybe I purchased through with my brokerage or whatever, and I only want it to come from there. So whenever it fills, it'll fill. 
but you'll see oftentimes like partial orders happen where, you know, partial, your, your order has filled, you know, 20 of the 50, you know, have filled and that kind of stuff. Um, going back to the sweeps and the multi-exchange orders, again, the reason why it's very important to look at a sweep order as a very bullish um, opportunity is because sweep orders are typically flagged by a culmination of multiple smaller orders. That way, whoever's purchasing them falls under the radar, or at least that's the intent. Because if I buy you know, one position that's a block order for a million dollars, everyone's going to see that and be like, wow, someone's super bullish that they're putting a million dollars into you know, a block order to purchase it as soon as possible, or even a, a sweep order. But the smart people out there, what they do is they put in multiple small orders. That way, people can't really see where it's or originating from, especially if it's a multi-exchange sweep order. You can't see where it's really coming from versus a single exchange where you just see someone you know, mass buying. And then uh, you know, on top of that, when you're looking at a sweep order and because it's a culmination of multiple smaller orders, what, what there is is with these flows, which is where you're seeing whether it's a sweep, a split, or a block order, these flow uh, algorithms allow you to um, look at multiple small orders and say these are most likely from the same person and combine them all together and show you a sweep order for the total amount of all of the small orders that were purchased at the same time. So even though each individual order was placed maybe at 10K, 15K, 20K per order, the culmination of it could equal up to half a million dollars. And that's where you'll see a sweep order for a half a million, knowing that that was a multi-exchange order to fill a bunch of small orders at the same time, but it's being flagged as potentially from the same person. Um, sweeps, splits, and block orders, they're, I, can't, I, I still haven't figured out if it's 100% correct. I think there's no there's no like regulation that states that you have to you know dictate what order I'm placing to say that it's a sweep or a split or a block. I think these terms and keywords have come about as more data has become available to the public public and as more people have created uh, again these algorithms to pick up on these small orders to understand that it's coming from the same person to then combine them into a single sweep order um, and read it as that. So um, hopefully that kind of answers your question. Um, but yeah, there's, there's a lot of, a lot of things you can discern from, you know, the urgency around these orders placed. All right. Uh, well, I mean, we could ask questions all night, but I am, uh, I'm going to cut it here. That was awesome, man. I really appreciate uh, all the, the time and the knowledge bombs that you're dropping for us and just uh, the support as always. So really appreciate it. Oh, hold on. Got one more. <laughs> what is your favorite dad car? Why is it man to man? Jason doesn't drive no minivans. I can tell you that. <laughs> I, I, yeah. you drive. <laughs> <laughs> I have my uh, convertible AMG <laughs> that I enjoy yeah. driving around. Uh, no. But all right, man. This has been awesome. Um, we appreciate it. Uh, and, you know, as always, look forward to the next time we can get you in here and keep stealing your knowledge from you. So. It's been awesome. Thanks again for having me, guys. Super appreciate it. Thank you. Yeah, thanks, man. Thank you for listening to Stocks and Sandals, a podcast by Stock Dads for Stock Dads. 
Make sure to subscribe for future episodes and join our Stock Dads community on Facebook and Instagram. But most importantly, don't touch the thermostat.